moving is a lot like a blur. It's hectic and crazy, and you're just trying to get everything where it needs to go. I am sitting in my room on my bed in our new apartment. My hopes for what the space is going to be is to have a home where women and our small group can come and just really take a minute to exist together and have that rest. So when I was 17, there were some circumstances where the person who was so instrumental in my faith ended up leaving church, and that became just the beginning of me feeling like church wasn't a safe place. It was really hard on our youth group, and we felt wronged as a community, as a group. Some people never returned to church, and I was one of the people that kind of lost faith in church and what it was supposed to mean, which was family. I felt really hopeless for any sort of future that had meaningful, deep relationships. I lost any hope for people reaching into my life because I felt like I was never going to be able to trust people enough for that again. It's like looking at people through a double-sided mirror where you can see them, but they can't see you. In your head, you make yourself think it's to keep people in your life, but honestly, it keeps everyone out. You are truly and completely alone because you don't let anybody in. There I was in this darkness, went through about three years of that, and then felt a small call to Charleston. When I first came to Seacoast down here, I got plugged into a small group, and I was trying to posture my heart in a position of being open to healing and relationships, but also just this hesitance of, am I really ready to let people see this? This person, this version of me, all of the mess, all of the junk. The next six months changed my life of rebuilding my trust with people and learning that God does not want me to be isolated. I started making a lot of friends with the women who were in the group and talking with them one-on-one -on -one about passions of our heart and really connecting with them and realizing there was a real big need for a women's group. Having iron sharp and iron on a level that you can't really do in a co-ed group all the time. And Taylor, she came up to me after group and she said, it is so funny that you brought this up because I have also been feeling this desire, but I can't do it by myself. In the process of transitioning from a girl who was afraid and isolated and didn't know who she was anymore, I'd lost so much of my identity, and transitioning into this community, this family that tells you your fear is not of God. That fear no longer has power over my life. Definitely choosing family over fear and letting God speak into your life has changed everything for me, and I'll never be the same. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. I want to welcome you to Seacoast Church. 
this weekend. My name is Josh Surratt. If I haven't met you yet, get to serve as a lead pastor here. And uh, excited. It's going to be a great weekend this weekend. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us at one of our campuses. Uh, you may be in Somerville, North Charleston, online. We are glad you guys are all here as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a good weekend. You know, 9-11 is my birthday, and so it's my birthday weekend. So this is kind of our celebration and our party. So thanks for coming uh, to my birthday party. And uh, But... But as you know, you know, it's, it's always a, a unique weekend, and especially this weekend with it being the 20-year anniversary of the events that happened on 9-11, the trauma, uh, the sadness, that, that which we lost as a nation. And so I, I know many of you, like me, have taken time to reflect on that. And, uh, and so, but, but what I was also thinking about is today is the one-year anniversary of us being back in the buildings after the pandemic. And so come on, somebody, that's a good thing. And uh, whether you're on the high of the spectrum or on the low, whatever kind of a week that you've had, the presence of God uh, is what we need. And so I'm glad that you're here. I wanted to mention that next week, we're gonna be kicking off a brand new series. And it may be one of the more significant series that we've done here at Seacoast. Uh, the, the title is fairly benign. What does the Bible say about blank? Uh, but what you fill that blank with is what uh, may, may make this a significant series, potentially a controversial series. Uh, we don't really do it for the sake of controversy, but there are a lot of issues that we see and deal with in our culture uh, that, that we're going to talk about during this series. But you guys have a part to play in it as well, because we really want to know what, what would you fill that blank with? What questions do you guys have uh, that you want to know, what does the Bible say about that? What is the church's posture supposed to be towards this? And so if you'll text questions to 32320, uh, you can submit your own questions. We've already had many, many people submit the questions, and based on what we're seeing, uh, we're going to probably be talking about some things that, that are challenging, and we're going to try to do it in about 30, 35 minutes uh, on a platform, and a lot of these are conversations that I've been having for years now uh, that would end up being an hour, two-hour conversations that are two-way or three-way conversations, and so we, we acknowledge that we won't be able to cover all that there is to cover about all of these topics, but we hope to bring God's word, and I think it's going to be a, what potentially could be a divisive thing is going to be very uniting for us as a church. So I'm asking you to, to submit your questions. I'm also asking you to pray. Uh, for us as we go into the series, because I believe that, that God wants to do an incredible thing during these couple of weeks that we're going to spend together. The first week will be next week. Chip Judd, who is kind of our, our church therapist, is going to get us started to make sure our hearts and minds are in the right place as we go into a series like this, and then we'll jump into some of the topics after that. But this week, I'm so excited for you guys. We're finishing a series, ISO, which is In Search Of, and it's largely been about relationships. Uh, friendships, relationships, how do we deal, how do we manage with those? And the first three weeks of the series have been taught from the perspective of married men, which isn't a bad perspective, but it's a pretty unique perspective. And I get to introduce you guys to Lynn Stroy, who at the Mount Pleasant campus really doesn't need an introduction because she's so involved in, in, in what happens here at the Mount Pleasant campus, the details, uh, the baptisms, all of that. She started at our Irmo campus several years ago, and God has just used her in a powerful way. But Lynn is a phenomenal leader. 
she's a phenomenal teacher, communicator, and she's not a married man either. And so that's a great perspective for us. And I'm telling you, all morning, uh, I've had people going, dude, why doesn't Lynn preach more? She's amazing. I'm like, because I want a job too. Uh, but she's, she's awesome. And God has given her a really, really phenomenal word for us today. Would you help me welcome Lynn Stroy as she comes and brings a word for us? Thank you. I am excited to be with you guys today. And so before we get started, let's uh, pray as we jump into God's word. Father God, Lord, thank you that we woke up this morning. Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every day. And so we know that you have something for each one of us. Lord, let me be less and you be more. Open our hearts to everything that your spirit wants to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Pastor Josh said, we are wrapping up the ISO series in search of, and as we were preparing for this series and praying through what each week would be about, um, I was kind of praying, how am I going to wrap up the series? In week one, we talked about the first problem that God addressed, and that was loneliness and how relationships are the solution to that. And then in the next week, we talked about how we can build character to build friendships and have those good relationships. And last week, we talked about how we keep those relationships, how they can last for a long time if we learn how to solve conflict. And so as I was praying through what else is there to talk about, a question that I struggle with in my life came up, and that is, what do you do when you have good friendships, when you have friendships that last, when you're surrounded by people that you love, when you've built that character inside of you, but you still feel lonely? What is that? What is that feeling of being surrounded by people you love and still feeling lonely? And that is out-of-place expectation. It's out-of-place expectation. You see, we were designed to be in relationships with people, but those relationships were meant to complement us, not to complete us. There are things inside of us that only God can satisfy. And when we don't realize that, We expect people to satisfy that, and that can lead to loneliness and frustration. And so I wanted to share my favorite candy bar with you. This is a Snickers bar. And whether you share my love for Snickers bars, and it really is my favorite. I'm not just saying that so I have a sermon illustration. If you don't share my love for Snickers bar, I'm sure you can tell me what the longtime slogan of Snickers is. And so if you're in this room, if you're at a campus, especially the North Charleston campus, I want you, as I ask the question, to answer this. If you're online, type it in the chat. What does Snickers do? satisfies. Snickers satisfies. If you're hungry, you're not you. You'll turn into Danny DeVito. So eat a Snickers bar. It will satisfy. And it, and it can in some ways. If you skip lunch today and you eat a Snickers bar, it'll hold you over. It'll hold over that hunger for just a little while. But what if I challenged you? What if I said for the next seven days for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you cannot eat anything except a Snickers bar. Some of you are excited about that, Um, but the ones of you that are not excited about that, I want to ask you, how are you going to feel on day two? How are you going to feel on day three? What is your body going to do? What is your body going to feel like after seven days of only eating a Snickers bar to satisfy your hunger? See, this candy bar does not have the nutrients needed to sustain you. 
It does not touch the deep hunger inside of you. And we treat people like Snickers bars. There is a deep relational hunger inside of all of us. And we look for people to satisfy that deep hunger that they were never designed to do. And that creates loneliness. And so today's message is entitled In Search of the One, because we all need to recognize that we spend our lives searching for people to do things that only God was designed to do. Now, a relationship with God, for some of you, sounds like a foreign thing. Like, if you're anything like me, you're like, I know what it's like to have a relationship with a physical person that I can see and audibly hear and touch, but I don't know what it's like to have a relationship with God. I believe he exists, but how do you have a relationship with him? And if you feel that way, I want you to know you're in good company. See, I grew up in a Christian household. I went to church every week. I even enjoyed church. I I don't remember a time when I didn't believe that God existed, but I didn't treat him like I treat people. I didn't desire a relationship with him the way that I desire a relationship with people. I didn't even realize that was a thing that I could or should do. Until October of 2007, I got a phone call while I was sitting in my office at work, and I found out that one of my best friends from college had had a brain aneurysm and died. And then five months later, I was standing in an ICU room because my brother, my only sibling, had gone into a sickle cell crisis and was in kidney failure. And that day I watched him take his last breath. And one month after that, the relationship that I had been in for over a year that I was certain was leading to marriage ended and it wasn't my choice. And so in six months, everything that I held dear was gone. My world imploded and I was broken and grieving and angry and empty And I spent months searching for anything that would fill that void. And we're in church and there are kids in the room, so I'm not going to tell you all the things I found in that search. But I'll tell you that none of them satisfied that emptiness in me. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Now, I wouldn't have been able to say those words at the time. I wouldn't have even understood what that meant. But what I did was find myself in my office one day at work with the door closed, Googling churches in Columbia. I didn't know why, but I was just reaching, grasping for straws. And Seacoast was the first thing that came up on that Google search. And so I clicked on the website, and I watched an archived message, and I saw that our founding pastor, Pastor Greg, was preaching in jeans. And I was like, there's a church where a pastor wears jeans on stage? And that was the reason that I watched the message. And I watched more messages. But let me tell you, I would never have walked through the doors of a church by myself. And later on, a a paralegal that I worked with, she actually invited me. She attended the Irmo campus, and she invited me to church with her. And this is not part of my message, but this is an aside. It was during the question series that I first came to Seacoast. 
And I would never have come on my own. There are people around you that are dying and broken and lost, and they don't know what they're searching for, and you do, so invite them to church. They're not going to come on their own. So I showed up with her, and I heard a pastor talk about things that I had never heard in church. And I heard him speak truth from the Bible about ways that I was living, things that I was doing. And instead of making me feel guilty, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And so it made me want to read the Bible. I'd grown up at church, but I had never set aside time. I had never prioritized actually reading his word. And so I bought a Bible because I had a King James Bible and I couldn't understand anything in it. So I bought a new Bible, I joined a small group, and I started reading his word. And the more I read day after day, the more I realized that this God that I said that I followed, I didn't love him. I called myself a Christian, but nothing in my heart, nothing in my life lined up with what I was reading in his word. If Jesus were to return right now, I asked myself, would I even recognize him? If he asked me to leave everything that I had, would I drop at a moment's notice and not look back without hesitation? And I had to say, no, I wouldn't. And so I started wrestling with that truth. I would continue to read his word and ask questions. And I found myself one day vacuuming the house and I was in the dining room. And I remember thinking about hell and thinking about Jesus and going to the cross. And it finally hit me. And I dropped the vacuum cleaner and I fell on the floor and I was bawling because I finally understood what he did. I finally understood his love for me. And that's when everything changed. That God was not just some far off distant being who created the world and then just sat back and let everything happen, but that he was a person And that's when I started to learn and wrestle with this idea of being in a relationship with God. And being in a relationship with him, it means a lot of things, more things than I've figured out, more things than anyone could stand on a stage and say over an entire lifetime. But today I want to share a few things that I'm starting to learn about what it's like to be in a relationship with God. And one of those things is understanding his love for you understanding his love for you. For me, it started on my dining room floor with the vacuum cleaner roaring in the background. But praise God, his love for me started long before my understanding did. In the beginning of time, as we know it, God created Adam and Eve. And he put them in a perfect garden and they ate something they weren't supposed to eat and sin entered the world and it separated them from him. But what's interesting when you read that story, what's interesting when I look at that is what happened after they did the thing that they weren't supposed to do. Genesis 3 verses 8 and 9 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? He's God. He could have called down from heaven. He saw what they were going to do before they even did it. He knew. Better yet, he could have yelled down from heaven after they did the thing that they weren't supposed to do. But the Bible says they heard him as he was walking in the garden. He came down and went to them and called to them. And it gets better. This is one of my favorite images of God. 
right before he kicks them out of the garden. In Genesis 3.21, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. How many of you, show of hands, have ever had a friend who was in a store and they saw a shirt or an article of clothing and it made them think of you and they bought it for you as a gift? Anybody? A few hands going up all around the room. All right, well, how many of you, and don't raise your hand for this, have ever burned a friend? And when I, mean, when I say burned a friend, I mean you destroyed a relationship by something that you did. And as you were fighting, as that friend was walking away from you, they went and got you a gift and gave you something that they thought you needed, something that would serve you well. That ever happened to you? Adam and Eve messed up in this relationship. And they heard God walking in the garden and they hid because they were naked and ashamed because of what they did. But God, when he sent them out of the garden, he sent them clothed. He covered their shame. And it's easy for us to read that and say, well, that was Adam and Eve. It's easy to read the Bible and say, well, that, that was them, Lynn. It's not me. But John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and not perish. We can read that verse, we can memorize it, and it can be head knowledge, but not sink into our hearts. But when you read the word of God, you've got to sit, you've got to sit in it, you've got to think about it. What are the implications of that? The wages of sin is death and not a physical death, an eternal death, a place without God, a separation from God. And God is love. God is good. God is hope. So think about that, a place without hope. You think this world is dark? You think there's evil and suffering and pain in this world? This world still has light in it. It still has hope in it. Imagine all the evil and pain and suffering from this world and no hope. That is hell. And that is where Jesus went because God so loved the world. He didn't just so love Pastor Josh. He didn't just so love Lisa. He so loved the world. And so when you start to wrestle with that, when you start to wrestle with his love for you, it compels you to want to know him. Just like it compelled me to want to buy a Bible and start reading to see what his word says. And it's not a one and done thing. It wasn't I, I was saved that day on the floor of my dining room and then I checked the box and I moved on. It's an everyday remembering the joy of my salvation. So I want to ask you, have you wrestled with his love for you? Have you wrestled with his love for you? Because until you do that, you're going to struggle in having a relationship with him. So here's another thing I'm learning about having a relationship with God. It's got, you've got to understand your identity in him. Understand your identity in him. And this is an area that I probably struggle with the most. And I'm sure some of you do too. And our culture sets us up for that. Because think of the way we introduce ourselves. My name's Lisa. I'm a mother. I'm David. I'm a carpenter. I'm Adam. I'm a pastor. We start to muddy the waters between our identity and our assignment. 
we start to say that I am things that I'm actually called to steward. Think about all the things that you call yourself. I'm Lynn Stroy. I'm a Seacoast staff member. I put this name tag on when I'm in this building so I can be easily identified. All of our staff do that. And when I had this name tag in my hand the other day, I started thinking, what would happen if we actually tattooed our identities on our skin instead of wearing name tags? If I had gone to my friends when I got my first job and said, hey, I just tattooed my identity to me, it would have said, Lynn Stroy, Applebee's waitress. Don't want to keep that for the rest of my life. Lynn Stroy, college student project assistant, paralegal, children's director, executive assistant. The list keeps changing because seasons change and things are different. You move on to other things. Seasons change and the unexpected happens and you're burying someone you loved. Seasons change and the person you thought that you would be with for the rest of your life walks out. And you have your identity in that and suddenly everything's shaken and you don't know who you are anymore because you've put on a label as your identity that doesn't last forever. Because in this culture, it's more attractive to say, I'm a business owner, I'm a doctor, than it is to say, I'm a child of God. But child of God is first and foremost and forever who you are. It is the only identity that doesn't change. But for some of you, it might be hard to identify as child of God because that word child. The older we get, the further we get away from childhood, the harder it is to have that childlike understanding, that childlike faith. But for some of you, when you were a child, it was hard because your family wasn't safe, your family wasn't loving. And so it's hard for you to identify with being a child of God because of what it was like to be a child in your family. But whatever your background, I want to challenge you to sit and think about what it means to be a child of a perfect and loving dad. And to give you a visual for that, I'm going to tell you what I did last week. So I'm from Columbia, and last week I went home, and I was staying at my parents' house. And what I need you to understand is I don't, I've never lived at that house with them. They moved into that house long after I had grown up and moved out, and um, so that's not my home technically, but Lynn has a key. And so when I go to visit my parents, I don't knock on the door when I get there. I just unlock the door and go in. Most of the time, I don't even tell them that I'm almost there. And sometimes when I surprise them, I don't tell them that I'm coming. I just go in and make myself at home. And this past week, I got there and I unloaded the car and I went in and I put my stuff down in the room that I was going to sleep in. And I didn't ask them which room I could use. I just picked the room that I wanted to sleep in and put my stuff there. And then I went into the kitchen and I wasn't hungry. I just wanted to see what my mom had. So I went into the fridge, and I noticed that there was some chocolate chip ice cream, and so I helped myself to a bowl or two of ice cream. And at no point did it ever occur to me to ask for permission. And you know why? Because there's nothing inside of me that thinks that anything that my parents have, I can't use. There isn't, some of you are laughing, but you know it's true. Either you do that with your parents or your kids do that with you. They have this deep-rooted sense inside of them that everything that's yours is theirs. And that's how I feel about my parents. So if we feel about that with our earthly family, 
How much more confident, how much more secure, how much more expectant should we be as a child of God? Everything that he has is ours. But sometimes we don't have vision for that. We don't think about that. One way that I practically live that out every day came from having a conversation with a friend a couple of years ago. We were talking and she told me, Lynn, I wake up every morning with a song in my heart that God's given me. And I was like, every single morning? And she's like, every morning I wake up and there's a song in my heart. And I was like, well, how did that even start? And she's like, well, I asked him for it. And I was like, mind blown emoji. It never occurred to me to ask him for something like that. But what she knew was the same thing that I know about my parents. Everything our Father in heaven has belongs to us. We have every spiritual blessing. All we have to do is reach out and take it. And so I was like, I want a song in my heart. And so we prayed for that. And over time, I started waking up in the morning with just a song playing in my head. And sometimes it's a song that I'd heard that week. Sometimes it's a song that I haven't heard in years or it's just a melody. And so I wake up in the morning and I make coffee and I sit down and I'm not a morning person. So there's no talking. There's no reading things where I have to use my brain. I just sit and I don't don't listen to anything. I just hear that song playing in my head and I just sit and drink coffee and imagine what God looks like looking at me what my dad in heaven looks like. You know how a parent holds a child and they sing a lullaby? What expression is on their face? Joy, tenderness, love. I start my day in silence and stillness, knowing how much he loves me, that I am his child. And so I want you to wrestle with that. Ask yourself, are you a child of God? And you are. The word of God says, after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And you can say, Lynn, of course he would say that about Jesus. But here's another scripture from the word of God. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if any share in his, but if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So when I hear that song in the morning, when I'm sitting there with my coffee, it's not just Jesus who's his great son his dearly loved son that brings him joy. It's me. It's you. It's all of us. So wrestle with the love that he has for you. Another thing that I'm learning is understanding that my purpose is through him. My purpose is through him. And like identity, we get this muddle in our society. Because we think that someone else is doing something more glamorous. We think that they're making a bigger difference than we're making. We're over here just taking care of littles at home. Or we're over here cleaning toilets or making copies. And we tend to think that what we do defines our purpose. But purpose is not about what you're doing. It's not even about how you feel. 
And when I think about that, when I think about purpose and having a disconnect between what we're going through and how we feel and what we were created to do, I think about Ruth and Naomi. And so Ruth and Naomi are two women in the Bible, and Naomi is married to an Israelite. And there's a famine in the land, so she and her husband leave the land of Israel, and they go to Moab, a foreign nation. Their sons end up marrying Moabite women, which they weren't supposed to do, but that's a story for another day. And then her husband dies. And then her, both of her sons die. And so Naomi is in this foreign land without her husband, without her sons. She hears that the famine has ended in Israel, and she decides to go back there. And she's going back, and her two daughters-in-law, they're going to come with her. But right before they start out, she's like, actually, go back to your families. Because the reality is during that time, women could not provide for themselves. They had to rely on a brother or a father or a husband or a son to provide for them and protect them. And there was nothing for these two women where she was going. So she said, go back to your family. And one of them goes back. But Ruth doesn't. And Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will say, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. So Ruth goes with her and her story actually ends up well. She ends up meeting one of um, Naomi's husband's relatives who marries Ruth, who redeems them. But when she says that to Naomi, she has no idea that's going to happen. When she decides to go with Naomi, she has no idea what life is going to look like. And based on their culture, based on their circumstances, what she likely believed is what was in front of them was poverty and suffering. But she chose to go. And the thing is, just because she didn't know where she was going and just because it may include suffering didn't mean she was without purpose. Her purpose was not in sacrifice and suffering. Her purpose was in how she behaved in the sacrifice, in the suffering. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. God's love for you, your security in being his child is made evident in how you do what you do, not what you do. Ruth's purpose wasn't a daughter-in-law. It was the faithfulness she had in what, was, what and who was in front of her. I worked in a law firm for eight and a half years. And at first I loved it. But I would say the last two, two and a half years, I felt this disconnect between what I was doing and what I felt like I was called to. And at the time I was at the Irmo campus, shout out to Irmo. And I was serving in Kids Coast, which all of you should do. And I was serving in student ministry. And my joy came in preparing for the weekend service and in, in preparing to be with my fourth and fifth grade small group. My joy came from going to Moe's and Yoke Hut with my high school girls small group. But that wasn't a nine to five job for me. And there wasn't a nine to five job in that. And so I had to be content with where I was. And during the same time, my campus pastor had invited me to be in a mentoring group with him. And one day he said, Lynn, 
If you want to be in vocational ministry and I hear of any positions opening at other churches or among some pastors that I'm connected with, do you want me to recommend you? Do you want me to connect you with them? And I told him no, because I didn't feel called to vocational ministry in general. I felt called to these kids and these students at this campus. And so that was enough for me. It was enough for me to feel purpose, not in a job, but with who was in front of me. And in hindsight, I can see how God used every minute of those seasons for things that he had for me. But in realizing that that was enough at the time and being able to look back and see what he was doing when I didn't know what he was doing, it gives me trust for what he's doing in the future. It gives me trust for the things that I can't see because my purpose isn't in what I'm doing in a season that's going to change. Is there an area of your life where you feel a disconnect, you feel a gap between what you're doing and where you think you're supposed to be? My question is, how are you defining your purpose? A relationship with God is built on love and your identity as his child and the purpose that he's planted inside of you. So when you feel rejected or unwanted, who are you looking to to make you feel loved? When seasons change, when the thing that you call yourself changes, who are you going to to satisfy your need for value? When you feel a disconnect between what you're doing and what you think that you were made for, who are you asking what your purpose is? We were created to be in relationships with people. And those relationships are good and those relationships are necessary, but they are not a substitute for a relationship with God. Church, you have a choice. And I want to encourage you. Don't go for the snack when you can have a feast. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you, but we know that you love us more than we love you. And we thank you for that. Lord, help us to see that you want to be in relationship with us, that you delight in us as your kids, and you've put purpose inside of us. Lord, teach us to turn to you. Teach us to desire you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the time in our service, if you're new to Seacoast, where we just pause and we say, God, what are you saying to me? Because he is speaking to you. And how am I going to respond? And there are a number of ways that you can do that. We've set up stations all around this room. And, or, you know, if you're online, we've got ways that you can respond virtually in the chat. But the first place that I want to encourage you to, the first invitation I want to make to you is for those of you who haven't put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you're like I was growing up where you were in church every day. You're in church right now and you believe God exists, but the relationship with him is foreign. You haven't wrestled with his love for you. 
I want to encourage you to do that now. I want to encourage you to think about what it means for Jesus to come to this world and live a perfect life and die on a cross for our sins, not for his. And then three days later to raise, rise again so that you can be with him forever. I want to invite you, don't walk out of this room, don't log off online until you've settled his love for you. And if that's you, go to one of the crosses. I want you to pin your name on there. You are in the family of God. Write that in the chat. Let somebody know, raise your hand online that you've made a decision. Or maybe for some of you, you made that decision a long time ago, but you don't remember the joy of your salvation day after day. I encourage you, go to a candle. Light a candle. Ask God to reveal to you ways that you can draw closer to him. What's one thing? What's one thing you can do this week to engage in a relationship with him, to respond to his love for you? Or maybe for some of you, you need to lean on the faith of someone else. Like me in that conversation with my friend, you didn't have a vision for all that God has and all that you could ask him for. We've got prayer team members who are expectant, that they want to pray for you, whether you need healing emotionally, physically, whether you just want more of God and you don't know what that looks like, they're here to stand in faith with you for that. So come to a member of our prayer team. And then we've got communion. Every time we gather together, we do this in remembrance of him. You don't have to be a member of Seacoast, just a member of the body of Christ. Take the bread, the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us in remembrance of him. And then we're all gonna go to the offering boxes and give generously. We're gonna sing and we're gonna celebrate. And we're gonna praise this God who sings songs of deliverance over us. So what is God saying to you? And how are you going to respond? Let's respond together.